opinions expressed by the host or guests are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV management or any of their advertisers. It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. conversation is about Brian Flores, is about what is going on with Brian Flores or what did go on with Brian Flores and and what the future really holds with all that. So we're going to get into all of it. We have a lot to talk about. 876-1340 gets you guys a part of the show. Also, you want to hit us up on Twitter. It's at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. So without further ado, let me welcome on Brian. It's been a while since we've been on the air together. Brian, how you doing, my man? All right, Brian may not be right there right now so brian may not be uh me be jumping on uh right now so look you know we're gonna start it and uh you guys let me know when brian gets a a a part of this or and tim tim's gonna be part of it as well um so look the college basketball is, is ruling the day you know um and college basketball right now is a spot where you start to look at the landscape and it's beginning to change, isn't it? The landscape is beginning to sort of show itself, I guess. The landscape in this spot, in this situation, is the good teams are winning games, albeit close. And you do start to see a lot of these conference games become very close games. You do start to see a lot of these conference start to become nip and tuck type of games, start to become, oh, wait a minute, they, they barely survived that type of game. And that's kind of where we are right now. We're in that conference area where you do have a lot of tough games, a lot of games that come down to the wire. One of the games that literally just ended just moments ago, UCLA went three overtimes and lost to Arizona State. That is a final within the last couple of minutes. That's 87 to 84. All right, so we can get into these type of games. Auburn had a tough game today. We can get into all of these type of games, and we will. But I do want to start off here with UNLV. It's the local team. It's the local flavor. It's a team that I kind of poked fun at a little bit last week because we were talking about, you know what? It's such a such a, a big win. And people were making it out to be such a big win. And last week it was, oh, man, you know what? Look at what they did. And look, I know how good Utah State is, but the showing tonight was just absolutely abysmal. So I want to bring on, uh, uh, look, I want to bring on Brian, try him again if he's out there, and get his take on UNLV tonight. Brian, how you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing good, Tommy. Can you hear me now? Hello? Hello? All right. I don't think... Uh... That's great. Brian, Hello? Are you there? Can you hear me? Okay, Brian, I can hear you now. Okay, good deal. Yeah, I was saying I can hear you all along, but I don't know what the heck. You know, sometimes we have equipment errors. Oh, yes. The gremlins uh, get going good. So, Brian, <laughs> you know, look, I want to start off with college basketball tonight. I do want to start it off with UNLV. Last time me and Tim, I was just saying, last time we were on the air, um, I, I mean, UNLV had the greatest win in the history of wins, it seemed like, right? It seemed like, oh, man, that was the biggest win. Well, tonight they got absolutely destroyed. And one of the things that I am noticing is when they when they lose and they go up against the big boys in this conference, 
especially on the road. They don't lose. They get destroyed. They lost tonight by 15, and it felt like 25. They When they lost against uh, San Diego State, it was 25. So tell me your feeling on the UNLV team, where we stand today. You know, it's hard to get really gauge this team, Tommy, because they're inconsistent, and they have an NBA player on their roster. And and I'll stand by that. I think that, uh, that, that you know, UNLV is going to go as far as Bryce Hamilton takes. And when we talk about, you know, road wins and getting blown out, yeah, they did against San Diego State, and they did uh, last night against Boise. But look what they did excuse me, against Utah State. But look what they did against Nevada, and before that, as you said, the biggest win ever. Colorado State was a very, very defining win, I thought, and they won it handily, and it was on the road. So, I mean, they showed at moments, but again, it took every drop of everything Bryce Hamilton had to win that game. They do have some players. They do play well at times. I said at the beginning of the year, if they were a middle-of-the-road team in the Mountain West this year, that would be a really big accomplishment for Kevin Kruger's first ever head coaching job. All right, guys, we are going to try this again. The Gremlins are at full work today. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com here with Brian Feldman, Heatwave Sports. Uh, Brian, you know, I don't know. I, I heard a lot of what you were talking about with UNLV. I don't know how much the listeners heard. So if you could just finish the tail end there. Um, basically, you know, you know, look, the gist is, is that you're saying that you don't know, um, you know, how this team is. Hamilton is an NBA player. Um, look, you know, from my opinion, I think they're a 13 and 10 team, right? I mean, is is that too easy of a kind of an excuse here, Brian? I mean, I, they're a 13 and 10 team. They they are better than 500. They beat up on bad teams. I don't expect them to beat good teams. You might get a good win here or there, which they did against you know Colorado State. Yet you, you might take a tough loss that you probably don't expect here or there, like they did against Air Force. Uh, generally speaking, they're about a 500 team, a little bit over. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I was saying. They're a middle-of-the-road Mountain West Conference team, and we all know what the Mountain West Conference has been. It looks like it could be a little bit better. I mean, San Diego State, uh, you know, kind of surprisingly bad, uh, especially on the road where it doesn't seem like they can win this year. Colorado State was looking like a legit top 25 team until they played San Diego State, but then they started playing really well again, and then UNLV did that to them at home. But, again, back to what your, your question, Tommy, is what is UNLV? UNLV is a middle-of-the-road Mountain West Conference team. But, again, if you would have said that when they first hired Kevin Kruger and you thought you were going to have a, basically a, a fire sale with all their players, everyone checking out the portal, I would have said that would be a good accomplishment for his first season. So they're right about where I expected them to be. Except Bryce Harper, I think, has taken a Bryce Harper, excuse me, Bryce Hamilton has taken a step in the right direction, especially the last month. He is really starting to play some quality basketball. And the second best player on this team, Tommy, is Donovan Williams, who in the last month hasn't been playing a whole great deal. You know, I thought that there was going to be a culture change. I thought that the, that things were going to be different here. I, I thought that we were going to see a different team. To me, it's the carbon copy of the same team, the same team that we saw with Dave Rice, 
the same team that we've seen for the better part of a decade where you have one outstanding player, right? One guy that goes, oh, man, they did all the recruiting in the world. One guy that's going to the NBA, yet they just can't get wins. And the big thing that they cannot do, they cannot go on the road. I, don't, I feel like UNLV hasn't won a big road game in like a, a decade here. I, I mean, that is really the feeling that I have with this team. And you start to look at the Hamilton factor, it's almost more frustrating. Yes, he puts, you know, somewhat people in the seats. Yes, he shows some sort of interest with the program, right? At least some people are talking about it. But it's almost more frustrating because we've watched this over and over. We've watched UNLV literally put an NBA player on the court time and time and time again. And time and time and time again, they are that middle of the road, about 500 UNLV team, which is frustrating. If you have a, a pro player in a smaller conference, go around the conferences in the in the, in the league, right? Go around, you know, the Ohio Valley Conference, the the Ivy League Conference, which I talk about all the time, the Sun Belt Conference. If you have a NBA player, that team is dominating. That team is crushing it. That team is doing everything in their power to just absolutely, uh, you know feed him the ball, let him go crazy, and he's putting teams on his back. This is another case where UNLV has an NBA player, but they just can't seem to get the Ws. Yeah, you know, and you can't argue with that. Wins are the bottom line, and, and that's what everyone's striving for. But again, it's Kevin Kruger's first year. You know, last year, you, you know, you had T.J. Atzenberger kind of depart. No one was really sad to see him go. But again, then you got to hire someone new. You lose your athletic director. I sound like I'm making excuses. Maybe to a degree I am, because usually I'm a naysayer when it comes to UNLV. I'm tired of this culture going backwards to the point that there's almost not even a culture anymore. It's almost like a, a faded memory, a dream that, that happened a long time ago or did it really. But the truth of the matter is, Tommy, they did get a big road win this year, and that was that Colorado State game. That was a big road win for this team. Unexpected surprise everybody, the media and fans alike. But you're right, as the culture changed, not really. You go into the Thomas and Mac, and this year they can say, well, people that aren't vaccinated can't come in, so that's why we don't have as big of a crowd. You didn't have as big of a crowd when before the pandemic. So, you know, the culture hasn't changed. But like I said, I really think Kevin Kruger does deserve a minute to see what he can do and, and see what can happen with UNLV. But, you know, everyone here is tired of, of, of losing, Tommy. And, and you know, there's, there's promise again in the football program. But, you know, I, I almost feel like, yeah, I'm from Detroit, but I'm going to say I'm from Missouri right now. When it comes to UNLV, show me. Yeah, it really is. You know, and I'm looking at the rest of their schedule here. Just got kind of take a, a quick look. Look, they have Air Force up next at home. That's a, it becomes a must-win game. You know, I, I don't want to hear the people saying uh, Air Force is an upstart. You can't lose and get your season swept, especially at home against Air Force. So let's give them a win there. They'll be 14-10. and 10. You're not beating Boise and Boise. You're not beating Fresno and Fresno. You're probably not sweeping the season series with Colorado State. And I don't think you're going to Nevada and winning that game. So you're going to be 14 and 14. Guess what? Boise State's coming up at home. You're under 500. Wyoming's coming up at home. Not sure you've beaten Wyoming there. So uh, let's say give you a New Mexico win. UNLV is still in a position right now where their head is above water. They're a 13 and 10 team. Uh, but guys, this can turn around very quickly. You have to look at the strength of schedule that UNLV has put out there. You've got to go out there and you've got to look at 
forget about only strength of schedule. I love, you know, this is something I talk about in basketball all the time, Brian. I don't really care about strength of schedule. I care about strength of wins, right? Yep. Show me the good wins. Because one of their 13 wins came, comes against a, a Division two team, right? Um, the Seattles, the Hartford, the Omahas of the world. You, you're not impressing me with that at a conference at all. So you're right. They have one good win on the year. But they do have a couple of bad losses. This team is 13-10. and 10. We also know that the reality is they're more like a 12-10 and 10 team. So they are 500. There is a chance, though, here that this really, the wheels could come falling off quickly. There is a, a really tough stretch of games where you're looking at six games in a row. And six games in a row, I'd be shocked. I'd be really shocked if they win two of them. I think they're going two and four there during that spot. I don't even know if they could get that. I think one and five you're actually kind of happy with. And the chances are they very well may go 0 and 6 here. So when you're starting to break down the schedule, guys, UNLV head above water. Okay, no big deal, no big loss tonight. But you got to have the foresight to look forward and go, do you have any confidence in this team to beat Boise or Fresno or Nevada on the road? You got any confidence that they're going to sweep the season series with Colorado State? Are they going to win against Boise or Wyoming when, when the chips are all matter later on in March, in early March? No, I don't think so, right? So that's the problem is that UNLV where they stand right now, all right, sure, you know, you can live with 13 and 10. It's a manufactured 13 and 10. It's a fake 13 and 10 that we know. They are closer to 500 than they are to their right now record. And as nicely as they were playing against Colorado State, and, and look, they did get a nice win against Nevada. I'm looking at their, after the Air Force game, I'm looking at their schedule of six games in a row, and I'm going, I just can't really sit there and think that this team is going to show me something during that span. Tommy, you know, I really wish I could put up a good argument, especially sitting here in my house, uh, obviously not in the Fox Sports studios because of the pandemic. Uh, we can't get in there. It's been a while, but I'm only 15 minutes from the Thomas and Mac, so I'd love to argue with you, but you have a very valid point. I think everyone has looked at this point in the schedule, which is the latter part of the schedule, and said UNLB is going to need to be pretty good by that time because you are absolutely right. Tommy, they could literally lose their last eight games. Air Force is going to be tough, as you said, to sweep sweep the season schedule. They come in and play hard all the time. That is a must win for UNLV, as you said, because the next, to me, winnable game is on the road in New Mexico. Well, obviously, uh, Wyoming may be at home, but you are 100% right. They could go 0-8, oh, oh, oh or to me, I think somehow they're going to find a way to go 3-5 and five in that schedule. Who are they going to beat? I think, they'll, you know, I think they'll beat New Mexico. I do think they'll beat Air Force at home. And somewhere in there, they'll get another win. Will it be Wyoming? Will it be on the road at Fresno State? You know, who knows? But I think they'll go 3-5 and five in the next eight games. That's just my opinion. But it also could be wishful thinking because you are right. Like I said again, and I know I'm being a little bit overly redundant, but I think everyone looked at this schedule and looked at the tail end and said, wow, that is a really tough way to finish. And if UNLV goes out with a whimper like that at the end, you know, the conference tournament is probably going to be one and done. Yeah, that's that's the my next question to you is, you know, if they struggle at the end, and that's the thing with a team like this, and this is just reality, with a team that is about a 500 team, I think we've come to the conclusion that's what they are. When you get into a conference tournament, 
there's not a lot of hope that all of a sudden things are going to turn around. There's not a lot of you know faith that all of a sudden come to conference tournament time, this team's just going to absolutely turn it on and crush it. And it's going to be a lot of the same. I know that you're trying to start a, a new head coach and a new culture and a new feeling and a new this. And it's all, you know, talk speak, right? Coach speak. It's all, you know, in, in <laughs> university speak at this point where they're telling us things are different. But I'm watching the same product. I'm watching another UNLV team struggle. Another UNLV team, you know, barely stay above 500. Another UNLV team with no hopes of getting past the first round. All right, you might win one game in your own tournament at home. And another UNLV team that has looked like the same incarnation of the last three coaching regimes that I've watched here. Nothing seems to have changed. And I know it's give him time. You always have to give the coach time. Okay? And if you lose a game like you did tonight, no problem. All right, you lose it. But to get your doors blown off two of the last four games and for UNLV fans to kind of sugarcoat it because, well, we beat Colorado State. You got humiliated by San Diego State. Tonight, they put up 90 on you. A, a team put up 90 on you. And that felt like 100. I mean, you, you're not losing to these good teams. You're getting bludgeoned. You know, you are, and, and, and the only bright spot again, and, you know, to, to, to have 90 put up against you, Bryce Hamilton's 33 points, you're not going to talk about him. They, they, who cares? Because it's another loss. And, and that is, you know, the bottom line is winning is what they're going to see to start believing in any kind of change in culture and believing, you know, it, it's really sad at this campus to not see students packing the section, and it's been that way for years, you know. I mean, I went to Michigan State, so it was a little bit different. I mean, a little bit different culture, and they're usually a pretty good team. When I was there, Judd Heathcote was their coach. But the point, my point is, at college basketball games, I don't care where you are, they should be packed with students. It's an opportunity for everyone to get together. It's fun and exciting, and people don't look at UNLV basketball like that, and that's pretty sad. Oh, come on. It's Corona, isn't it? Come on. It's COVID. That's why. <laughs> right? I mean, that place would be rocking. Come on now. That oh, place my would be, God. No, that, that would, it wouldn't be rocking if there was a big desert wind. Yeah, that, that would be – they would have at least 3,000 in there. <laughs> at least. Oh, you get out of the parking lot quick. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so – Let's let's take a time out here, Brian. We'll come on back. I do want to talk about the other college basketball games. We're in that point in the season in conference games where, you know, these teams know each other well. And from a betting perspective, I shy away. I, I get nervous at the big-time top 25 teams because the teams that are supposed to be getting crushed by them, they always play their top games, especially at home. They, this is going to be their, their championship-type games. And we watched a lot of that go on today, a lot of close games. A lot of real tight games. A couple of teams did go down. I said right before we got on the air, UCLA went down in three overtimes. So I want to get your thoughts on that and more right after this, right here on Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, back here on Heatwave Sports. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com with Brian Feldman. Tim Munglesby will be joining us in hour number two. And I, I love right around uh, Super Bowl time. We always get, you know, the other guests. And I hope you are coming on next uh, Saturday night with us. We, our big Super Bowl show 
make sure everybody listens in during our big Super Bowl show. We always bring in big guests here and we always have that that great conversation. We will be talking a little bit about Super Bowl uh, in the next hour. We're going to have a lot of Super Bowl talk tomorrow and of course on Saturday give our predictions, our picks, some prop plays that we do like. Um, but we will get into some of that later on. We are in the middle of college basketball talk here. Uh, guys, I also want you to please go check out TomBartonSports.com. Another huge... I, I went 3-1 and one today and I'm annoyed because I went 3-1 and one and I had an under going to overtime. That's the only reason I lost. I've been absolutely on fire. January was one of the best months that I've had in the last 10 years. I was crushing it, crushing it, crushing it. I'm 7-3 and three to start off February. So you guys want to go check it out. If you sign up at TomBartonSports.com, you get 30 full days of every pick that I give for less than $100. And, and I'm not like these other guys that are going to scream and yell and tell you, oh, yeah, you know what? Look, I don't even talk to you. It, it's it's really simple. You go, you pay $99.99, you go to the website every day, and the plays are up with a nice little description. They're up at 7 a.m. Vegas time every single day. You don't have to talk to anybody. There's no sales commission. There's none of that. Go check it out, guys. It's TomBartonSports.com. So, Brian, let's get back to the college basketball um, I, I mentioned that I try to shy away from the top 25 teams at this point. Look, I like them early on in conference play because I don't think people realize how dominant they are. I, I, a perfect team like that is a team like Vermont. Uh, you know, they, they are now undefeated in conference play. One of only, I think, six or seven teams in the country that are undefeated in conference play. Early on, you don't realize how good they are. By the time it gets late, now they're just crushing teams. I like early and late conference play. In the middle... Early teams in conference play can get a little tricky, especially for the top 25 teams. Because, like we said earlier, teams are bringing their best, right? Especially at home. This is their championship game. This is their big-time moment. So while they may not get wins, they do play really close games. One of those instances just happened, and they did get a win. I want to talk about this UCLA game. It went into three overtimes. Arizona State is only... A six-win team coming in. Six and 13. They're having a miserable year for a team that was supposed to have a pretty decent year. UCLA, number three team in the country. Well, they go down 87-84 in three overtimes. I know that they've had injuries. I get it. But this is a huge win for Arizona. This is the type of win that you are nervous about if you are an Arizona State team. Uh, if you're a UCLA team going into Arizona State. They get a big-time win. I don't think it hurts UCLA too badly because, look, they were dealing with injuries, but it is an impressive win. I don't care that it took three overtimes. That's a nice win by uh, Arizona State. Oh, yeah, of course. It's a huge win by Arizona State. As you said, 6-13 and coming into this game, Tommy, against the team that lost in the national championship game that literally has everybody back this year. And most people expected UCLA just to run away with this thing. You knew that Gonzaga was going to retool. You knew that they picked up a 7-foot-1 uh, tower in the middle that, that, that is athletic. But... Everyone expected UCLA to be the team, you know, to be the force to be reckoned with, having the team that they had. And, you know, in a game like tonight, three overtimes, how does Johnny Juzang only have 12 points in a game like that where he is so big and important in this team, for this team? I don't understand UCLA. The, the, the three losses that they've had have really made me scratch my head. I just don't get it. Um, you know, because sometimes they will look so good. 
and sewed together. And Mick Cronin, one of my favorite coaches in the country, regardless of the fact that he used UNLV for leverage, I mean, you can't blame the guy. But um, I'm really surprised at this. Uh, it, w- it went three overtimes. It was a hell of a game. I was watching it for a little while um, here. But, um, you know, UCLA can't lose a game like this. No, and, you know, UCLA is a team that I've been down on. I did my preseason predictions, um, and you guys can go check those out over at YouTube. It's at, uh, it's Tom Barton Sports on my YouTube channel. I can use it. I, um, You go back, and I, I was down on them early in the season. But when you're down on a team like UCLA, that just means I don't think they're winning the championship, right? I mean, you know, uh, you can be down on a team and still see uh, that you can't lose a game like this. And that's how I feel about UCLA. I'm still not sold. With all that said, and this is a huge win by Arizona State, in a weird way here, I kind of believe that Georgia, in a loss, actually showed me a lot more today. And Georgia went the distance. Georgia went to the wire with number one Auburn. And in the first half of that game, Auburn was literally toying with Georgia. Everyone's gone in there in a very, very tough SEC. By the way, this year, SEC is dominating. In a very tough SEC, everyone's gone into Georgia. Everyone has just beaten up Georgia. They are, are the laughing stock of that SEC. They can't compete on a single night. And you look at what they did. In the first half, Auburn is throwing it off the backboard and giving alley-oops. It, it looked like basketball and I'm playing against five-year-olds. I mean, that really was, it was embarrassing. And they made adjustments, came out of the locker room, and outscored Auburn 42-32, lose by two points to the number one team in the country. But I'll tell you, I am giving Georgia all kinds of credit. With about 10 seconds to go, this game was tied. I'm giving Georgia all sorts of credit. I thought it was a tremendous showing by them. And it just shows you, look, Auburn came in as a 12-and-a-half-point favorite today, but it's a road game. It's in conference. These games can happen. And they were one play away from losing to Georgia. Yeah, Tommy, you, you, a, a great game. Um, and, you know, as, as you said, the game started. Uh, I, I, I saw very little of the game. I saw the highlights of it, but I, I read the recap. And the bottom line is, is you know, Georgia really should have been blown out in this game. As you said, it looked like Auburn really had, you know, just had this game in hand. But Georgia showed a lot of resiliency. Um, and maybe in a different conference with the SEC being so tough, they would be a much better team and a team that could compete. But, um, again, you know, as you said, yes, I give Georgia a great deal of credit for, for the way they played this game tonight. But, again, Auburn, the number one team in the country, one loss, they won. And that's the difference. UCLA lost, Auburn won. And you've got to win these games. As great as Georgia played, at the end of the day, it's still a loss, and it's a win for, you know, it's just another win for Auburn. And, I, and, and that goes back to, again, the UCLA game. you got to win these types of games. you got to win the close games. The good teams win the close ones. You know, Brian, Gonzaga goes out there. Year after year, I feel like they, they just rip the soul out of teams in their conference. You know, BYU is going along. they got a nice 17-win season. Uh, you know that they're going to the, to the tournament. They're looking good. And you go, all right, we get them at home. Maybe you have a, a, a people in that locker room that go, we could beat them. But generally speaking, they're going, all right, we got them at home. We're going to pull a Georgia. I mean, we're going to play close. We're going to be right in there. Gonzaga goes out there and humiliates BYU 90-57 to 57 on their own court. Yeah. We watch it happen year in and year out. It is funny to me just – 
I think teams at this point, teams in their conference specifically at this point, are just intimidated by Gonzaga. They just they they don't know how to combat who they're going up against because BYU is a good team. BYU's having a good season, and BYU they weren't in the game. You know, Gonzaga just retools every year. I mean, I don't think he's the most underrated coach in the country by any means anymore. I used to say that with Mark Few. This guy is not just the greatest recruiter in the country. He continuously is able to take the talent and make them win. It's one thing to be able to recruit, but you also have to be able to take what you recruit and win. And Mark Few does all of that. I mean, sooner or later, this guy's got to get his national championship. If anybody has earned it, he has. But you're right. The, the West Coast Conference just belongs to Gonzaga. I mean, I don't even know the, why, why they play it anymore. They ought to just play for second place in the conference because it's getting to the point where, you know, it's almost unfair where Gonzaga has got to move conferences. Although if Mark Few has his way, I don't think they ever will. Yeah, you know, <laughs> why would you? It's 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 a it's an easy walk to a number one seed, right? Um, Purdue took care of Michigan at home. Uh, number four, Purdue. I am, and I have been since the very beginning. I have a futures ticket on Purdue. I am massively high on them. I still think people are overlooking them. Uh, Dickinson had a good game for Michigan. Michigan's barely above 500 as well. They're now at 11 and nine. I keep waiting for Michigan to turn things around. They're not. Purdue took care of business. Kentucky took care of Alabama on the road. Kentucky's now. All of a sudden, they are a major, major, major threat. Taking care of Alabama by double digits is not an easy task on the road. Arizona takes care of USC. That game was close. It was it was a two-point game with about two and a half minutes to go. Arizona's starting to step up their game now. They can be argued as a top-five team. And then Kansas is what game I want to talk about. Kansas-Baylor, number eight Baylor traveling to number 10, Kansas. This has been Kansas's conference since Bill Self has been there, except for last year when Baylor kind of stepped up. And it was one of these games where I think it had more meaning than, than we even know here, right? It had more meaning for people saying, this is our conference. Well, Kansas really showed it. 83-59 absolutely dominated Baylor at home. This is what you expect from a Bill Self team. This is what you all of a sudden start to see Kansas. And I know they've had a good season with 19 wins. This could be that win that propels them to not only a a championship here in the Big 12, but I'm talking about Kansas now you have to now start talking about as a serious championship threat if you weren't already. This beatdown, these type of beatdowns, at home against a rival in conference, and you put up 83, 44 in the second half, even though you had a huge lead, 44 in the second half, everything went right for Kansas tonight. Oh, it did. And, and you know, Tommy, I had a feeling, believe it or not, I said it when I saw this game coming up, you know, it was like, wow, that's going to be a really good, great game. I go, you know, yeah, Kansas just got that win over Iowa State on the road, you know, and that was a nice win for them. But they're still reeling for Kentucky coming in there and beating the daylights out of them in K, you know, at home, an embarrassing loss for Kansas. They were looking forward to that to that game, and that was supposed to be kind of the uh, you know the measuring stick as to where Kansas is and how good they are. Can they make a run for a national title this year? And Kentucky just said absolutely not. And I think Kansas, Iowa State, top twenty team, and yes, that was a nice win for Kansas. But I think. They took it out on Baylor. They took the Kentucky loss out on Baylor tonight. 
Yeah, I, I, that's a great point. I, that's a great point. They Their one big blemish was a huge blemish, and they may have tried to correct that in one game. Uh, let's go. Let's keep going down here and, and talk about Wisconsin took care of Penn State. Close game, but Wisconsin did walk away. I'm still not sold on Wisconsin, but they did win. Villanova uh, handled UConn a little closer than they wanted it to be. It got a little tight there at the end, but Villanova walks away. I still think that they are one of the elite teams here. And then we talk about Michigan State. You know, I got a text earlier today. Me and Rob Mish uh, go back and forth all the time. And he was asking about Michigan State. And I said, you know, anybody that sits back and, and anybody that, um, you know, knows me and knows me being on the air knows I have this weird anti-Tom Izzo thing. And it's not that I don't like him. It's just that I believe and I've made the case on the air that, that he's overrated. And year in and year out, I think that his teams that aren't supposed to be good excel and his teams that are supposed to be good kind of fall on their face well his team was number 13 in the country today and they got beaten by 21 at Rutgers just an embarrassing performance I like Rutgers and I know it's hard to play at the rack but come on you can't lose by 21 on the road that was an absolutely horrible loss and you know again my alma mater it's tough and to say Tom Izzo's overrated I don't know that I would go that far but I do see what you're saying because it does seem like the, the lesser teams overachieve and the teams that are supposed to win maybe other than the, the, the than way back, you know, the, the 2000 team with the team Cleves on it. And, and, and they did what they were supposed to do. But Morris Peterson turned out to be a pretty decent pro as well. And like, you you know, they, they, had, a, they had two or three pros on that team. But again, talking about Tom Izzo, I, I don't know that I would say he's overrated. What I will say about Michigan State, and I've been saying this all year, they'll get their wins. They'll, they'll win some surprise games. They'll lose some surprise some games that will surprise you. But to me, they are a house of cards that will collapse in the NCAA tournament probably fairly early on, depending on the matchups. Yeah, you know, I, I, the only reason I I always get get flack for people turn around to me and say, you know, oh, what what does overrated underrated mean? Um, I say overrated when people try to argue that he's you know a top five coach of all time. You know, I think he's a very good coach, but to me, you know, he is, uh, he's flawed. Goes to a lot of Final Fours, doesn't get a lot of rings kind of thing. All right, let's move on. Texas Tech did beat Virginia Tech, uh, or West Virginia, I should say. Illinois had no problem with Indiana. It's a shame. In, in Bloomington, people were leaving with like eight minutes to go in that game. They were destroyed in that game, and it was bigger than, than the numbers show. Texas beat oh, uh, Iowa State in a nice 22-point win. I don't buy into Texas. Uh, but they do have a defense. They held Iowa State to 41 points. Texas might have one of the best defense. May, may, they might have the best defense in the country. They held Iowa State to 41 points, 18 second-half points. It's unbelievable. DePaul upsets Xavier. LSU loses to Vanderbilt, okay, and, and Tennessee beats South Carolina. But at the end, at, at the top 25 here, we just can't seem to keep those last – Five teams in it, right? Xavier, 21 at home. Well, they got to drop out of the top 25 now. LSU, obviously, at number 25. They got to drop out of the top 25. Brian, we can't seem to keep a team, right, in that 20-25 range for more than a week. I, and by the time the new polls come out, all of a sudden, they drop out. And it looks like it, it's going to happen again here with Xavier and LSU. The, those late teams, it seems to me that college basketball this year, and maybe you could say it for a long time, but it seems to me that this year it's college basketball. It's kind of like the top 10. Then you got about, you know, eight, nine teams that are hanging around. 
and then everyone else. You just can't. It, it's not a top twenty-five anymore. It's like a top twenty. Yeah, it's going to be interesting this year when it comes to tournament time. You know, everything with all the countless tournaments. But when we get to the the big dance at the end of the year, it is going to be really interesting the matchups because I truly believe this. We have seen some great upsets in the past couple of years. You know what? Four years ago, we finally saw a number one seed fall to a 16 seed, and that took forever. I think this year, you could, depending on the matchups, you could see more upsets than you've ever seen because there is really, you know, eight decent teams in the country that I think have a chance of winning a national title. And like you said, there's other teams hanging around, but I think they're hanging around, and maybe a great season would be to get to an Elite Eight and no further. I, I think it's, you know, the cream will rise to the top when it's all said and done, but I think it's going to make for a very interesting tournament, and we'll see some great upsets and some great Cinderella stories this year. Now, I left one game off here. Uh, Duke, North Carolina. Yeah. This is the last time that Coach K will be in North Carolina. In, in Well, uh, not in North Carolina, because Duke is in North Carolina. It's the last time he'll be on the road against the Tar Heels, and he absolutely went in. And he did what you kind of expect Coach K to do. He didn't only go in. Kind of twisted the knife, right? They win by 20. And he his team puts up 48 in the second half. You you know he's not going to smirk on the court. And he's not going to smile. You know that felt really good. The last time they're going to see him on your home court, not only do you win, but you dominate this team. And you beat him in the second half, putting up a 48 spot. Yeah, well, nobody has gone in to Chapel Hill and won more games by 20-plus points than Coach K. I think he's done it three times now, and that's more than any coach in history, which isn't surprising. I mean, it's hard, very hard to go on Tobacco Road and win, win road games anyways. But, uh, you know, Coach K has, has had great success against North Carolina, and you know damn well, like you said, Tommy, this game meant as much to him as any game left this season, obviously, till they get to the tournament, because the last time he will be going into to Chapel Hill as Duke's head coach. So monumental for him to win this game. He wanted it badly. It was funny that because Carol, North Carolina did everything. They booed him when he walked on the court. They 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 opened a, what are they they named a highway after Roy Williams during the game and pulled out the sign. I mean they did everything to pump up the crowd and everything. Nothing's gonna work because the truth of the matter is Duke is a far better team than North Carolina this season anyway. Man, it's gonna just be weird next year. You know, a Duke-North Carolina game and look over on the sidelines and there's just no Coach K. I don't care if you like UNC or Duke, okay? It's just a weird situation to kind of look over there and you're not going to see Coach K in this rivalry anymore. No, it's going to be, it's going to be, I mean, there's a few of them left that have been here, you know, really as uh, as college basketball has just gone to a new level, there's a few guys that are left and there's not many more. Coach K is one of the last ones, I think, you know, when Jimmy Beheim retires, they'll all be gone. You know, I, me and you haven't had a conversation about this. I, I don't think it even needs a big conversation. He certainly, I, I think I could speak for you and say, greatest that you've ever seen? Coach K? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think you can argue he's the goat of college basketball. You, you almost have to put him ahead of the Wizard of Westwood. It's a different time. You know, although you still look back at what John Wooden did, and it, it is pretty amazing the the recruiting he did and the the absolute dynasty he made a college basketball team. But then again, Duke is just there's never two years in a row that Duke is not in the mix, and that is completely 100 percent to the credit of Mike Shashevsky for sure. Yeah, and, and that's why I kind of worded it like that because you know 
uh, uh, that we've ever seen I, because, you know, so many people go down the, uh, you know, the, 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 the nitpicking kind of trail. Um, of course. But I didn't, I didn't see him. So, you know, I only saw Coach K. All right, let's look ahead to, to tomorrow here. Got a couple of games on tap. Um, Ohio State, Maryland. Ohio State's supposed to take care of this. They're a nine-point favorite. I, I'm I'm not buying into the Ohio State-Wisconsin. I just never seemingly do. Maybe it's their style of play. Maybe it's just the fact that, you know, I look at the Big Ten and I, I like the top-heavy part of the Big Ten. Ohio State shouldn't have much of a problem with Maryland tomorrow. But, again, it's those dangerous games. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you about Providence-Georgetown. Providence is going to Georgetown. They're only six-point favorites here. Providence is a team that is 19-2, and two, Brian. Providence is a team that you look at and you go, they very well could win the Big East. Providence is a team that no one is talking about to win a championship, though. No one's really taking serious. And I got to kind of look at them and go, yeah, they are very much being disrespected at 19-2. and two. Oh, they are. I mean, it's one of the best records in the country. I mean, you have two losses. You're, you know, the Big East might not be what the Big East used to be, but you're still, you know, you're still a power conference in college basketball. And Providence has played great, you know, again, but it's, a, it's an interconference game. You know, it's at Georgetown. And, you know, and they'll be fired up because for them, you know, that's the, for Georgetown, this is this is a monster game for them. And that's all that I could think of, Tommy, because to me, looking at this on paper, both teams, I'd say Providence by ten and a half, but that's me. Yeah, look, I look at this Providence team and I go, the only thing that, the only knock anyone could have on them is that their wins are close wins. They went on the road and beat Wisconsin, okay? Now, they did it by five points, but they went on the road and beat Wisconsin. They beat Texas Tech, who everyone's in love with right now. They did it by four, but they beat them. They went on the road and beat UConn, top 25 team. They went, uh, they, they went and beat Seton Hall. They beat Marquette. Now, I know they're 1-1 one one against Marquette, but just this week, they just beat Marquette. Two-point game, but they beat him. They went on the road and beat Xavier. I mean, these are quality wins. And I'm looking at Providence. I'm like, what do you have to do? Well, you still have two tilts against Villanova. And I think that that will change people's perception because Georgetown should be a win here. This DePaul game should be a win. And then on the 15th, you get Villanova. I just look at this Providence team and I go, 19-2, and two, you have... A lot of top 25 wins on, on your, your ledger. You have out-of-conference wins on your ledger. You have road wins on your ledger. No one's talking about Providence. They just seem to be kind of fading away. Um, on the other side, we have another 19-2 team. Last game we'll talk about tomorrow. Houston is 19-2. Houston is the number six ranked team in the country because of UCLA, UCLA's loss. They'll be a top five team. They're sitting here as only six-point favorites on the road against Cincinnati. And you start to break down a Houston schedule and you go, okay, what have, what have they done, right? I mean, what have they done? They beat Wisconsin? Well, okay, great. So did Providence. They beat Butler? Yeah, great. So did Providence. They lost to Alabama. You know, you start to look, look at this team and you look at the schedule and I'm going, I want to believe in Houston because they go out there and they destroy teams. They hold teams to 36, which they did East Carolina a couple of weeks ago. They hold teams down. Their defense is good. They're a good team. But they're going to put Houston in the top five, and they're not going to put Providence there. And Providence has a clearly, clearly better conference and a much better head-to-head record when you're talking about big-time competition. I think it's fair that Houston might be in upset mode tomorrow. I don't think it's fair that Providence is. 
Yeah, you've you got a really good point, Tom, especially when you look at the teams in between uh, Houston and Providence. Uh, you know, you know Wisconsin being probably the most alarming since, as you said, they went in and beat them. I watched Wisconsin play here in the Maui Classic in Las Vegas, and I was very, very impressed with them. I, um, I, I, w- I was surprised and impressed. But again, Wisconsin's one of those teams I'm not a big believer in, just like you. I have the same thing. Maybe it's my problem with the Big Ten this year, other than, you know, I like up top. I think Purdue is 100% for real and a team that could win a national championship. And that's because they can dominate inside the paint and they can also they beat you from the perimeter and they play good defense. But that is Houston, as you said. It's funny because when you think of Houston, you think of great offensive teams because you go all the way back to the Guy Lewis days and five slam a and they were a team that ran the ball. This is a team that shuts you down, and that's why Houston has 19 wins, is they win the close games and they shut you down defensively. Defense wins championship in every sport, including basketball, or at least it gets you two championships. Houston's a really good team. I think that would be a hell of a game, Houston and Providence. I'd love to see that matchup in the, in the, in the NCAAs at the end of the year. Yeah, hey, how about an Elite Eight matchup like that? I love it. Um, all right, let, let's take our time out here. Good stuff about college basketball. When we come back in hour number two, Tim Unglesby is going to jump on with us. We have to have that hard conversation, that difficult conversation about what is going on with the NFL, what is going on with the Brian Flores situation. We're going to get into that. We're also going to get into, I want to see if the guys have any thoughts on the coaching changes that are still going out there. We also have some interesting odds that have been thrown out there and some prop plays. Some of them jump off the table right away. I know it's hard to go through 17 pages of prop plays and come up with them. Well, I got a couple. If we don't get into it tonight, we'll get into it tomorrow. But we want to have a good conversation about the NFL next hour. Also, we're still taking your phone calls, 876-1340. Write us over at Twitter, at HW Sports or Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter as well. And I want you guys to please go check out TomBartonSports.com. Tom Barton Sports over on uh, YouTube as well. I did a, a Super Bowl preview where I'm talking about the legacies tonight, the legacies of certain players, the legacies of guys like Matthew Stafford, which Brian knows being very well being a Detroit Lions fan. He could rewrite that legacy, the Joe Burrow <laughs> legacy, and uh, some other guys. So go check that out over on YouTube as well. Give me a subscribe if you can. Let's take a quick timeout. We'll come on back. Hour number two, Heat Wave Sports, right after the Are you ready? Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Yes, Hour 2, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, Tim Unglesby joining the crew for Hour 2 and Hour 1, of course, Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com. And from out of line, Brian Feldman on the show. It's been a while. And Brian, if you, hopefully you're still there and you can hear me. I, I know you have to do your own show here in a few hours right here on Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, tomorrow morning I'll be at uh, the Wisden, we call it, Spencer Studios, since none of us are allowed in the Fox Sports Studios these days. Um, but I'll be doing it 8, 8 to 9 tomorrow morning and uh, looking forward to it. Always a good time. But, uh, hey, this is like show prep for me. I love it. <laughs> well, make sure you guys tune in to Brian's show 8 o'clock tomorrow morning right here on 889 FM, 1340 AM. And, of course, Brian will be with us next week for our huge annual Super Bowl preview show. And, guys, Tommy. I texted you earlier. I think you were snoozing, but 
there may be a venue that will have the show Saturday. I'm, I'm waiting on the, to sign the paperwork Monday. So we, me, Brian and myself may be on location next week. Can't get into the Fox Studios, but can go on location. I love it. I love, <laughs> I, I love the uh, the mentality of the masks. Yes, <laughs> right. Uh, good, good. Yeah, you got to text me. Let me know uh, where where you guys are thinking about going. Yes, I don't want to spoil it in case it, it falls through. But either way, we're going to be on the air, and it's a huge show. Tommy recapped it earlier in the uh, first hour about we have like former. Former former members of the crew, former Lotus employees, they always find a way to make it to that show and give their predictions on the game, and, and we always have a lot of fun. So hopefully we can be out on location next Saturday night. And then Sunday we have the big recap show. The first people in Vegas, the first radio show in Vegas to talk about it next Sunday night, the Super Bowl recap show. And in hour one, Tom and Brian did break down some college basketball for everybody. But now we're going to get back into the NFL and we, we will, uh, you know, tomorrow night, Tom's like the, the prop show. We like to really go in depth with the props. So maybe Tommy will sprinkle a little bit on you. But before we even talk about little ins and outs of the game, what about the situation that broke early in the week with Brian Flores? Tom, it's, it's, it's kind of getting, uh, it was very one-sided when it came out. But now more news is coming out. Where are we at? This has become a huge fiasco. Yeah, it really has. I mean, you know, I'm one of those people, I say this w- with, with all things. I say this with sports, politics, or, or even just rumors around town, right? Uh, just wait. Just, you, you don't have to have an instant reaction about everything in the world. We, we live in that world where everyone's already on their phone before they finish reading the sentence that's scrolling across the bottom of the TV. Uh, but just wait. And, and that was my reaction. Just wait for this. Hold on. Hold on. Because it started to become... A lot of, like you said, one-sided conversation. And it started to become a lot of piling on. Hugh Jackson getting involved and other guys kind of getting involved. My thing is this, and I'm going to say this as bluntly as possible. This is not a race issue. It's not a race issue. Does that mean that the NFL shouldn't have more minorities coaching? Yeah, it does. You know, They should. But this is not a race issue. Brian Flores was not fired because of the color of his skin, okay? Brian Flores did not get jobs, not because of the color of his skin, you know? And Brian Flores is now turning out to look, he looks pretty silly in a lot of situations. That doesn't mean he's not right that the NFL doesn't, you know, need changes. Of course it does. But the problem with the NFL and what they did, which was really shooting themselves in the foot, was before anything could even happen here, they said there was no merit, right? They, they put out a statement, there's no merit before even hearing the claims. That in itself is the problem. With all that said though, Tim, okay, when you're talking about the race and you're talking about what, what the situa- situation is, you could poke holes in Brian Flores' story all day long. He was so upset that David Coley got fired in Houston. I mean, that he took an interview with Houston Texans, right? I mean, you know, you see, these general managers coming out and they're going, you know, the, the ex-Buffalo Bills uh, Whaley general manager coming out and going, man, it is racist. Well, you had an opportunity to hire a coach and you hired a white coach. Um, you know, uh, Reese here in New York, you had an opportunity to hire a coach, you, you hired white coaches. It, it's not a racist thing. It's more of a, a good old boys thing, right? It, it's more of a, who do you know? We always, you know, romanticize the coaching trees. 
you know, yeah, listen, if you shook hands with Sean McVay, you're getting a job. Well, that that's reality. Uh, Belichick staff and, and Andy Reid staff. It's not necessarily a black and white thing here. This is more of they are are. It's a very tight knit society, and people want to be able to work with the, the type of people that they want to be able to get along with. Um, this is the, the the bigger news that came out of this for me, and I know we're covering a lot of ground. I, I want you guys to, to chime in here, but the bigger news that kind of got swept under the rug here. Because I think everyone's concentrating, because look, we live in that country. Everyone's concentrating on race and racist this and racist that. Joe Rogan's racist now, and now it's The Rock, and, uh, you know, just in the last couple of days. And, and, you know, the New York City mayor is now racist. I, I mean, look, everyone throws the word racist around. So it gets clicks, it gets attention, it gets uh, people watching the news. But the news story that fell through here is how about the idea that the Miami Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, had offered you know, the head coach $100,000 to lose games while trying to buy a sports gambling entity. He was in negotiations to buy a sports gambling entity while trying to pay his coach to blow games. This is the story, guys. The, the black and white issue is going to be used. It's going to have holes poked into it. It's going to be a very hard thing to prove, even if people do believe into it. It's going to to unravel into just a, a different direction. But the sports betting, the guy that was trying to get a, buy a sports betting company, trying to pay his head coach to lose games, that's the story that we should be talking about. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in there. There's a lot, Tommy, to go into. And just initially to go back to Brian Flores and the race issue, it's a, a very touchy subject, as you know, to, to, to talk about. Uh, and, you know, I don't think there's enough African-American head coaches in the National Football League. I think that you don't often see an African-American head coach lose a head coaching job and then get hired again. It does happen. Dennis Green, um, Tony Dungy, so it does, uh, Jim Caldwell, it does happen, but not as often as on the other side, and I do think it's something that should be looked at more, but but again, I don't want this to be a race issue, um, you know, and the fact that, you know, Brian Flores, to me, what he did is he martyred himself, and be it for, you know, hopefully for good, for the greater good, but I think that he's hurt himself dramatically to ever become a head coach in the National Football League again because the last thing teams want is a media circus. And, you know, that indirectly is kind of the reason we never saw Colin Kaepernick again. Now, there's other things, and that's another story for another time. But again, I think he martyred himself. And was it a smart move to martyr yourself that way, to call the Broncos and John Elway racist, to call the Giants racist? Man, I, I just... I, I, I just thought it was a little bit overblown. But you are correct. A, a big story should be the focus on Stephen Ross and offering $100,000 if, in fact, you know, it's alleged right now, it does come to be true. That's a really bad thing. You heard Hugh Jackson did re retract his statement, said he was never offered to, he was never offered money, but it was like an incentivized and like a, a, a poke poke type of thing. I honestly feel that owners have been doing this throughout history. When you know you know you have no chance, and there's some good players at the top of the draft, I think it's a natural thing to want to do that, knowing you can't win games. Yes, 
It plays with the integrity, and I'm not going to say that's right by any means, but I think it's something that's happened, and now it's been called attention to. And is it being called attention to because you lost your job, or is it being called attention to because it really did destroy your integrity? I don't know the answers to those questions, but if, if in fact, he did offer him $100,000 to lose football games, Tommy, you're 100% right. That needs to be dealt into immediately, especially look at the endeavor that Stephen Ross is about to undergo. I agree with both of you in that Flores did martyr himself here, and whether he was whether he's right or wrong at the end of the day, right, Tom? It's it's something that who's going to give him a job? He's never going to be the, the head man in the NFL now for sure. I I, I doubt that any organization will or will allow their head coach to bring him on as a coordinator at this point. So maybe a college job somewhere, right? And maybe down the road, Tom, he could, he could find his way back in the NFL as a coordinator. But as a head man, that, that's probably never going to happen now. And we've seen this hat play out, right? We've seen this play out with Kaepernick. Kaepernick never came back, Tom. So when you start throwing around accusations like that, and again, I want to preface myself by saying, with, I'm not saying he's lying about it. We don't know. He's just, he put himself out there, and there's nobody that's going to save him now. Well, yeah, and, and you know, I know you guys both mentioned Kaepernick. I think that's an unfair comparison. I'm going to stick up for Brian Flores for a minute. Kaepernick was a piece of garbage. I mean, just through and through. Uh, you know, Brian Flores has some problems, which I'll get into in a minute, but, but Brian, Colin Kaepernick was a piece of trash, and they still offered Colin Kaepernick a job. He just mm-hmm. turned it down. I mean, the biggest misconception is, oh, Colin Kaepernick was blackballed from the NFL. No, they offered him a contract. They offered him to come and play. He said, I want starter money. And they said, but you're not a starter. You're not a good quarterback. And he never was. So, you know, I don't think that that's a fair comparison. But but Brian Flores, look, besides just this, this just reeks of hypocrisy, doesn't it? The idea that, wait, you got, you got offered this during the year, but you kept quiet. You waited three weeks until after you're fired and went on multiple interviews and then kind of threw people under the bus or tried to throw people under the bus. None of this takes away the idea that you did treat Tua like garbage, right? I mean, nobody is refuting the fact, and all of a sudden we're kind of forgetting the idea that he told Tua flat out, and and Tua Tungo Viola did not support Brian Flores, uh, and and he just he's too classy of a guy to just destroy him. But guys... You know, you're told you're starting quarterback. You'd rather have somebody else. Uh, what are we doing here, right? You turn around and you go, well, Brian Flores is a good guy. Uh, Brian Flores, really? He fired more coaches in his tenure than uh, any coach that I can remember in recent memory. A lot of them because they had problems. He had a problem with the general manager, an outright problem with his general manager. He's clearly a hard guy to work with. And then you look at Brian Flores overall. Brian Flores overall had a winning record. You heard me. I, I, I thought he was a, a very good coach, a very good coach. But if your players, coaches, and management can't get along with you and you're not winning, I mean, he's a solid coach, but he's not he's not winning playoff games, guys. I understand showing him the door. The thing that Brian brought up, which was just absolutely ridiculous, is the idea that, you know what, you're attempting to throw the Giants and Broncos under the bus. First of all, the Giants came out and obliterated everything that he said. They gave an itinerary. They gave their 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 entire situation. They hired Brian Dable because we all knew they were going to hire Brian Dable the minute they hired their general manager. They, they, they hired their general manager with the idea of, yes, we're definitely hiring Brian Dable. 
the Denver Broncos, I think it's ridiculous to say that that is a racist conversation because Vance Joseph was their, their head coach before and they chose Vance Joseph over Shanahan, who had ties with the Broncos. You know, to sit back and say, well, those guys were, were hungover and they didn't give me a real interview. The interview lasted almost four hours on the books, guys. I don't think you're lasting four hours with an interview if you don't take it serious. You know, so there is a lot to uncover here. The one thing I will you know, go with here, and I, I will say, the Rooney rule is a farce. It's a complete joke. It should have never been instituted. It is one of the dumber ideas that the NFL ever had because all it does is cause more of this garbage. You know, I agree with Brian Flores when he says, you know, I never really had a job. I never really had a chance at the Giants job. But that's real life. That's everything. There's a lot of times where you're going against internal candidates and you walk in there and you kind of know they have their eye on someone. And now it's your turn in your job to change their mind. You got to wow them in an interview. You have to go crazy in that interview. You, you've got to, you know, just show them, hey, look, you know, you love your guy, but let me show you my guy. For them to sit back and force feed. Okay, well, you, you know what? We know you love this coach. You hired a general manager that uh, roommate with this guy, and he hired him in his last job, and they're buddy-buddy. But now you have to go through the process of, of going through people. And, and, and No, why? Why are we doing that? It doesn't make any sense. Think about it like this, guys. Okay? If Bill Belichick got into an argument with, with Bob Kraft tomorrow, okay, and he turned around and he wanted the, um, the Las Vegas job, the Raiders would have to hire uh, would have to interview a black minority coach just to meet their quota. Do you think that's fair to that black minority coach? So systematically, I understand what Brian and Flores is trying to do. The Rooney rule is a farce. Um, it, 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 things do need to be changed. There is the idea, like Brian said, people don't get a second chance. Sure, that is all, all almost obvious stuff. In this case, though, and we keep saying that he martyred himself. I don't even know if he martyred himself. He was the wrong guy to bring this up. He seems to be the wrong guy to be hanging his hat on this because it wasn't because he was black that he was fired. It wasn't because he was black that he didn't get the other jobs, guys. He is just that guy that we have to look at and say, all right, you know, you brought light to a subject we kind of knew was there, but your situation didn't dictate this. You guys think it was something that you know, these these text messages that we've seen from Belichick and, and making the mistake on who it was, he overreacted to that point, Tom, or is it because, and I don't know which direction the Texans are going to go. You mentioned it. He's a candidate, interviewed. I think that'd be a nice spot for him, right? But maybe there's internally they, they don't want, they didn't want him there anyways, but did he overreact and, and jump the gun too soon and, and his lawyer just jumped on this? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what happened. You know, everyone's always so quick to call racism. And in this country, it pays. It pays to, to scream and yell and, and, you know, call people racist and, and say I'm marginalized. You know, it, it, it pays. What the Giants did was the Giants said, okay, we hired a general manager. We know what we want, Dable. But let's let's talk to some other guys. Maybe somebody wows us, right? I mean, we've seen that happen. We, we've watched it. Look at what just happened in Minnesota. Jim Harbaugh walked into that office and they just assumed he was going to get the job. 
and he underperformed, right? And they they let him walk out of the office. It happens. Maybe if Brian, Brian Flores went in there and really wowed them, maybe he could have had a different conversation and changed their mind. That does happen in the hiring process. Anybody that's been through a hiring process, you know, you know going in what your chances are. Oh, I'm overqualified for this job, underqualified. Well, I know that they're looking at an internal candidate. And that's the thing, you know, they may have wanted Brian Dable. They may have had their eyes set on Brian Dable. But Brian Flores, make us look at you. Make us take a look at you and have second thoughts. That's what the Giants could have done. Um, you know, all of a sudden, Brian Flores feels marginalized. He feels like the world's against him, where I honestly think he probably would have got the Houston job had he not, you know, kicked and screamed like this. Uh, he he might have been up for that Minnesota job after Jim Harbaugh. You don't know. But now that he's screamed and yelled, I'm marginalized, which it's just not true. And guys, stop looking at the numbers. I, I know that we have people and, and um, a lot of listeners out there. Oh, well, you know what? There's only you know one minority coach in the NFL, one, one, one black coach out of 32. Well, first of all, there are more coaching opportunities to be had. Byron Leftwich literally turned down a job. OK, um, and Ron Rivera is a minority. I know he's not he's not black. But he's a, it's a minority. The qualifications to be a head coach at this point have to be based on merit. It is not that the head coaching, and I think this is where everybody kind of looks at this. It is not necessarily that the head coaching ranks should be absolutely littered with minorities. The idea is that even the lower ranks aren't really. And if they were more, if there were more college coaches that had plenty of success, more offensive, defensive coordinators, um, on the secondary levels, they would get more opportunities. Should there be more? Absolutely. But how much more would make you appeased? If you're running a, a business, you're running a corporation, you're running these kind of things, you want the best person for the job, but it's not only the best person for the job, you want the people that you feel will work best with the people in power. So while we're looking at this and we're saying, yeah, absolutely, we want more black head coaches. Well, how about black general managers? How about black you know, owners? I mean, I think that it's it all stems from there. You have to be able to work with the people that are in your building and are you are the head man. There's not a coaching hire outside of one this cycle that you can't say, oh, that made a lot of sense. Right. Are you going to argue Peterson and Jacksonville shouldn't have got the job? Come on. You know, are you are you going to sit back and argue that, you know, Everflus in Chicago shouldn't have got the job? Are you going to argue that Hackett in Denver shouldn't have got the job because they're going to probably bring Rodgers over? No, of course not. So there's not a lot of questionable guys. So, you, again, we go back to the idea. Is it a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. Is Brian Flores the guy that should have been bringing it up at this point in time? Absolutely not. He doesn't look too good right now. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Let's look at the, the two more jobs filled this week, guys. And Tom, you mentioned the Minnesota gig. They're gonna their new head man will be Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. So he'll coach his last game as a Ram next Sunday. He's now the head guy in Minnesota. Uh, your thoughts on the hiring? Yeah, he's the one guy I would question. Um, I question it. Because I mean, I you know McVeigh's kind of running the show there. It's the same thing. It's the same reason why Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a job. You know, again, that's not systematic racism that Eric Bieniemy doesn't have the job. It's because uh, Andy Reid still calls the offensive plays and the offensive coordinators that have come from Andy Reid in recent years. I know it well, being a Chicago Bears guy and Matt Nagy, they don't do well 
because they're not calling the plays. So this is this is the first head scratching moment, and I honestly believe Minnesota panicked. I think Minnesota put all their eggs in the Harbaugh basket, and Harbaugh walked into that building. And I know that people that are very close to Minnesota have told me they walked into that building. Harbaugh walked in, and everybody in the building thought, "Okay, Harbaugh's got the job." I mean, that was just the, the prevailing idea. And this goes back to the Flores situation. Uh, everybody just assumed, "Okay, Harbaugh's got the job," and that's that. But he bombed the interview so bad, Harbaugh, that they couldn't give it to him. Then they panicked. Uh oh, what do we do? Well, everything Sean McVay turn, touches turns to gold, right? I mean, everything. Look at the Sean McVay coaching tree. Zach Taylor is in the Super Bowl, guys. I don't think Zach Taylor is a standout coach. So they said, okay, let's just grab that. Let, let's grab the offensive coordinator that learned under McVay. It's the new way of doing things. He's a coaching tree. I think Minnesota panicked. I don't think they wanted a retread. I think they wanted something new, a new culture, a new situation. They wanted something, uh, you know, that that they could really, really, really sell to the fans. And they panicked. And selling to the fans after losing Harbaugh was, okay, here we go. We got someone from McVay. Brian, your thoughts on O'Connell? You know, I, I mean, I agree with Tommy. I mean, everyone knows McVay calls the offensive plays. And, you know, to say it's the first head-scratching move, Tommy, I disagree. I scratch my move, my head at Neil Hackett because you've got the same damn thing in Green Bay. I mean, we know Matt LaFleur calls the plays there. And the only reason they brought George Patton and Neil Hackett into Denver was John Elway's great idea of, like, we're going to get Aaron Rodgers. There is yes. no way yeah. in hell Aaron Rodgers is going to the worst team in one of the toughest divisions in football. I don't buy that for a minute. I think they wasted a, wasted a move on a GM and wasted a move definitely on a head coach. Because, again, it's like hiring a defensive coordinator from the Patriots. Bill Belichick is the greatest defensive mind ever in the NFL. Parcells said it, and I seconded. I mean, look what the guy's done. Every year, New England's... <clears throat> Excuse me, New England starts off, and defensively, they're in the middle to the pack, sometimes even the back. You get to the end of the season almost every year, and their defense is top ten. Parcells figures out what's wrong, he, he, he retools things, and he makes the team better. And so hiring his defensive coordinator, you're hiring a puppet. So, yeah, that's, is, is, he, is O'Connell a, a McConnell puppet? I don't know. I honestly don't. We'll find out. But, again... Those are bonehead moves in the league to hire a coordinator just because other people have had success or because he's successful doesn't mean that his coordinators are going to be. And again, my, to me, the biggest bonehead move was in Denver this year because it was all, and I mean, like Aaron Rodgers isn't stupid. He knows exactly why John Elway did that. That was, to me, the worst move this, this offseason. Brian, you said bonehead, and with that, we'll use it as a term here, and we'll move to Jacksonville. Tommy, Tommy mentioned Doug Peterson, the new, the new head coach in Jacksonville after a year off, former Eagles head coach, won a Super Bowl, obviously with Nick Foles. And in his limited run as an offensive coordinator in Kansas City, once he got the, the, the playbook from Andy Reid, he won 10 in a row, leading him into the playoffs. But, uh, Brian, your thoughts, though, Jacksonville bonehead ownership there, right, with the Urban Myers situation. Now they get Doug Peterson, a guy who's a quarterback-friendly coach. Yeah, you know, I don't think that's a terrible move. Doug Peterson, as you said, has won a Super Bowl with a with a, a retooled quarterback that was an afterthought that, that just you know had an unbelievable, almost almost miraculous postseason. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, from what I saw last year, definitely needs a quarterback guru there because. 
he did not look like I thought he was going to look, even though he was a rookie, even though Jacksonville has a garbage football team right now. I mean, he did not look good. If you saw him making passes, constantly throwing above receivers, throwing behind them, getting his teammates killed. Now, will he get better? I hope so. I mean, God, as a freshman at Clemson, he was unbelievable, and we thought he was NFL-ready at that point in time. But, yeah, I think Bone had ownership in Jacksonville. But, honestly, I don't think Peterson's the worst hire in the world. You know, I, I think Peterson's a great, great, great hire. I think what when you look for job qualifications for the Jacksonville Jaguars, you needed stability. You needed somebody to walk into that locker room with a, a just – after what Urban Meyer left them with just an unquestioned respect, not only from winning, but from the, the players themselves. And you needed somebody, uh, like Brian said, that could really turn around and take on um, the idea of Trevor Lawrence. Look, Peterson walks in and goes, hi, guys, here's my ring, right? Uh, I've accomplished more in my life than your entire organization have accomplished. He's generally a nice guy. There are some people like him, right? He's a nice guy. He doesn't have a lot of dirt behind him. The players always liked him. And he took Carson Wentz, a former number one overall pick or number two overall pick with a lot of expectations. And he was able to succeed with him. I think Peterson is a great hire. Um, just going back to, to Brian's point real fast. I said this uh, when he, he was hired. Hack it to me. Is a is the best hire of the offseason if they get Rodgers. But if not, yeah, it's a failure. It, it, it was quite the dice roll by Elway. Um, so I do want to clear that up. I only have one head scratcher, but it could turn into two if they don't get Rodgers. Tommy, we just got a text from uh, fellow Heat Wave sports crew member Chris Wynn. See Wynn getting off of work here on a Saturday night in Las Vegas. And he said, and maybe you have some insight, what happened to the Jacksonville hiring of Byron Leftwich? I thought this was a done deal. Uh, he turned it down, basically. Uh, yeah, he he walked in, and, and here we go. Here's the interview process, right? Um, they didn't officially offer him the job, and Jacksonville went out of their way, and, and uh, Khan went out of his way, so we didn't offer him the job. But basically, he went in as the favorite. Um, it was generally a done deal, and he said, I cannot work with Trent Balky, who's the general manager there. Um, so in the interview process... Like, like we all have to go through in the interview process, he had to sit down and go, uh, look, I can't work with the guy that you're going with. Now, Jacksonville, you could say stupid for choosing to go with Trent Balky, which I agree with, but he said, I can't work with him. And Jacksonville said, well, he's our general manager. We're not going to fire him to hire you and basically walked away, which by the way, goes to show once again, you know, we had a, a, a listener. Right. And he was like, well, how would you feel if you went into a job and they already basically hired somebody else? Well, Minnesota basically hired Jim Harbaugh. He's not there. Jacksonville basically hired Byron Leftwich. He's not there. Right. And things do happen. That's why you go on interviews and you try to change people's minds. Oh, hey, Tommy, I got I got to jump in real quickly. I got to ask you something. Do you really believe in any way, shape or form that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Denver Bronco next year? You know, I, I I don't, but there's I mean, there's me that they way better chance of winning the Super Bowl than the Denver Broncos. What he would stay put before he'd make that move. You're right. Look, I agree. And my biggest argument why he won't go to the Raiders or the Broncos is because he's got to walk into a division with Mahomes and Herbert. But we also know that Aaron Rodgers is full of himself. Aaron Rodgers looks at things as most pro athletes as as a challenge. Maybe he's looking at it and going, man. I, I could turn it around and just absolutely take over that 
conference and that division and watch what I could do. And I could go head to head with Mahomes and beat Mahomes and I could do. Maybe he's looking at it like that. I look at Denver and I go, they set themselves up for an Aaron Rodgers run with their head coach, guys that he likes, offensive coordinator that he likes. They also have a good running game. They also have four wide receivers that are all locked up long term. There are reasons why I can see him going to Denver. The biggest one is, you know what, his, he lessens his chances to win. But if you're a competitor that is is Aaron Rodgers and you're an arguer, uh, you know, against the system like Aaron Rodgers, you know what? Tom Brady went to a place where he said, yeah, yeah, that's a great team. They just need a quarterback. I'm going to win. Aaron Rodgers, he seems like the guy that would go, you know what? I really don't care. I'll go head to head against Mahomes every year. I see, I see Aaron Rodgers wearing a San Francisco 49ers uniform next year. He's going that, – that, I, I think that's – Ooh, no Trey Lance, huh? No, no, I think that because it's an immediate win right now. That team – talk about a team built to win a Super Bowl right now. On the defensive side of the they when they are healthy, they are as solid as, as can be. And people always say – Aaron Donald is the best player in football. I say if he stays healthy, give it two years, and you'll be calling Debo Samuels the best player in football. Wow. That is a, that, that's a bold prediction. I, look, I don't hate it. Um, we also have to remember, though, that Green Bay gets to kind of choose where he goes as well. You know, I don't know if they want to send him to the NFC, and that's something that we have to keep in mind. You know, The teams that I've heard about, Tennessee, who now says, hey, we're good with Tannehill, because they were also good with Brady. Tennessee is one of the names that you heard. You've heard Denver. You've heard the Raiders. Um, you know, you go up and down and you go, yeah, mostly AFC teams. Well, that's also because Green Bay does get to choose. I don't know if they want to send him to San Francisco. And then what do you do with Trey Lance? You know, what happens in that spot? It, it'll all be it's going to be a really interesting offseason to where watch where Rodgers goes. Here's what I would say. I think he's 100 percent out of Green Bay starting to hear people in Green Bay go, well, you know what? He might come back. I think he's 100% out of Green Bay. He's certainly not going to play in that division. There's not a lot of teams that can take on his salary cap. So while it seems like, well, anybody can have him, yeah, that's not necessarily true. I think that there's only three or four real viable teams. Brian, I'll stay with you on this one as we head back towards Las Vegas with the, the Las Vegas Raiders. And the, and the Patriot way continues, right? Ziegler, McDaniels, and now Patrick Graham joins the Las Vegas Raiders as a defensive coordinator. He did spend time recently with the New York Giants in that same capacity, but the ties are there in Foxborough. Your thoughts on Graham and the Las Vegas Patriots? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like it, Tim. I like it. You know, I, I like the hire of Patrick Graham. I don't mind it at all. Um, I, I, I think that... Uh, He's done a decent job. It's definitely not his fault that uh, that, that that the team he's been he's been the defensive coordinator has been very good lately. But um, I, I don't mind that hire. I still, as you know, with Josh McDaniels, we've talked about it before, uh, Tim, uh, off the air, and I'm not sold on that hire. Um, you know, I mean, yes, everyone wants to grab the Patriots, thinking you'll get a little bit of the success. Every, everyone that leaves the Patriots, the problem is like when the Lions got Matt Patricia. I, I, you know, you, well, you know how I felt about that from the beginning, but I said, you know, Matt Patricia left one very important thing in New England, Bill Belichick. Unless he's coming along, I'm not sold on anybody going anywhere. Um, I don't know if the Raiders is the best shot. You know how I feel. I really feel, I don't think Rich Passaccia, you know, I, I just think he deserved an opportunity to coach this team one more season and uh, and see what he could do because these guys really rallied behind him. 
Um, I've never heard of a head coach before writing a little note and putting in every single player's last on a team as he departed. Uh, but, but again, um, him, I, you know, I, I don't think in, the, in that case, I don't think he's a bad hire. I really don't. Tommy, you know him well there living in New York. The thoughts on, on him coming towards the West. Yeah. Look, I, I, I echoed almost the same exact thing as, as Brian. Um, you know, the problem with Patriots West is that there's no Brady and no Belichick, you know, and, and no Kraft. Oh, by the way, uh, I know everybody loves Davis in that town, but as a football man, Kraft is the right kind of owner. Davis is not. You look at the Raiders and I, I, what I what I am really looking at with this is how much overreach and how much you know support will Daniels get? How much is he getting? Because if he's getting the full amount, it makes me a little bit nervous. You know, if you reel him in, I think we know that he's a good offensive coordinator. If you reel him in, I think what we know, he can call plays, he can win games. And even though he didn't have a great successful stint the first time, a lot of coaches don't the first time. And I saw enough where I said, okay, I feel like he could be a solid player, a solid uh, head coach with the players that he has. But if he's going to come in and start mass changes, that changes things. And that's unfortunately where the Raiders are. You know, the Raiders are in that weird position where you just went to the playoffs. Now, for this to be successful, Josh McDaniels has to win a playoff game this year. If not, then he didn't do what a special teams coach did, what Rich Bisaccia did. Now, he's got a quarterback. I don't think McDaniels believes him. He's got a running back and a wide receiver core that is less than average. He's got, you know, decent defensive players, but a bad defensive back. He's got a team that well overachieved. It's hard to take over a team that well overachieved because you look at what they need to do. What they need to do right away is either win a playoff game or tear it all down and start from scratch. It's hard to convince fans, especially in a town like Las Vegas that just had a taste of success. Hey, we're going to tear it all down. It's also a, a tough situation for McDaniels to go out there and say, we might be in a division with Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes. Now, by the way, win the division and win a playoff game because that is better than the special teams coach that you're taking over for. So, so with Minnesota and Jacksonville filling their vacancies, Tom, that leaves Miami, Houston, and New Orleans as the opens, the open, the open jobs in the National Football League. I, I doubt we'll, we'll hear anything this week. I don't know if there's even a, a probably there's probably a ban on it with the Super Bowl week coming up. But any any leaders here taking these jobs is as Leftwich find his way to New Orleans. Uh, that's that's the latest rumor that I had heard. Yeah, I I do think Eric Bieniemy gets a chance here. I heard him tied to Houston very early on, um, and now all of a sudden he's being tied to New Orleans as well. You look at New Orleans, and, and it's a tough job, right? I mean, it really is a tough job if you're looking at completely starting over. You're taking over for a legend in Sean Payton. What is New Orleans looking for? You know, we have to rewrite a legacy. We have good defense. We have no quarterback, but we have a lot of caps, you know, space on the quarterback position. It, it, that's a tough sell. I don't even know what New Orleans is looking for. Uh, Leftwich would work there. I do think that there are concerns about Leftwich that the only successes that, and I liked him. I thought he was a perfect fit for Jacksonville, but I think there are some concerns there where you look at Leftwich and you go, you know, well, your only successes have been with Tom Brady, right? I mean, that's the only time that he was successful was with Tom Brady. Um, you look at Houston. I think, I thought Brian Flores was a, a perfect choice 
for Houston. A perfect choice. I think they need that kind of guy that uh, you're not going to expect much, but give us something. Let us have an identity. And I think Flores would have done that. Now that Flores is that off the table, I'm not really sure. So we do look around, and, and I'm in that that weird spot. I think the enemy does get a job here. I'm not sure if it's going to be left, which maybe both of them do. But I think both of them are also in, in spots where I know you're always taking over a bad team if you're taking over a coaching job, uh, but they, they need complete identity changes. I have no idea who either one of these teams are. Brian, we're talk, we, we were hearing uh, Leftwich in New Orleans. Tommy said Houston's kind of a crapshoot right now. And then Miami, the hot names are still on the table. Kellen Moore, Mike McDaniel, the OC at San Francisco, Leslie Frazier from Buffalo, names being thrown around. Any thoughts, any, any rumors that you've heard regarding the three jobs? No, almost exactly what you guys have heard. I know that the enemy either just interviewed or is interviewing. I think it was today that he interviewed with New Orleans. So, you know, I think I think it's going to be left which or it could be the enemy in New Orleans. Um, you know, no, I, I, there's still a few out there, but I agree with Tommy in a faceless. You know, Tommy, who would want the Houston job after what just happened there? I mean, my God in heaven, not just the not just the, the Deshaun Watson situation, but I mean their coach, you know, gets no opportunity whatsoever. It was a complete farce. And uh it caused you know, people to start shooting out racist uh, accusations. So, you know, why would you want a job in Houston right now when that team that team is going nowhere but backwards right now? Uh, that, that, they, they, you want a job in Houston because there's no expectations, right? I mean, you go in there, you win six games with Houston next year, you're coach of the year. <laughs> yeah. You know, but you, but that's why I said Brian Flores seemed perfect to me. Take over, revamp this in your image, make this your team. There's a lot of coaches that say, oh, we're going to make it my team, but it's not really your team. It's just a product of your head coach or, or, I mean, of your quarterback or of your city or whatever. No, no, no. Whoever takes over Houston hasn't to truly build it back the way he wants. I thought Josh McDaniels would have been good for that. If you really want to make an impact and build things the way you want, have that major control, uh, I know Harbaugh wouldn't have taken him over because they're such a bad team, but a guy like Harbaugh walking in would have made sense. That's why I thought Flores. I don't know if an Eric Bieniemy or a Byron Leftwich is the answer in a spot like that. I think they need a strong personality. They need somebody that can come in and say, I am the team's identity now. We don't have a star quarterback. We don't have a star player anymore. We don't have anything. So I am the team, and oh, I God. am the face of the team. Tommy, I was just going to say, man, you just you just you just brought up you just brought into light Lane Kiffin for God's sake, because that's who he is. I oh do it, do it. Go. Maybe Houston needs Lane Kiffin. I, I love that. I, I I'm all on board with Lane Kiffin. Tommy Barton, Tim Unglesby, Brian Feldman, Heat Wave Sports. We're going to take our final time out of the Saturday night show. And we'll wrap things up on the other side of it. Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Final segment of Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Make sure you join us tomorrow night at 10 o'clock as we have our, again, another annual show, the Super Bowl Prop Special Show. Tommy and I will break down maybe not 46 pages of props, but we'll throw out what we think are the the best ones on the on the table for making money. So some fun ones that we always like to throw in there just because. 
and Tom's Tom, you are not only are you not not to kiss your ass anymore, but not only are you the Ivy League specialist, but you are the king of prop bets on Heatwave Sports. Yeah, I absolutely love the prop. It's funny because people always ask me, you know, when you meet random people, they go, "What do you do for a living?" You know, um, and you say, "You know, professional handicapper, uh, sports talk host." Um, well, what's a handicap? Oh, okay. Well, well, I pick games. So, awesome. What do you like for the Super Bowl? <laughs> right. And so, and, 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 so, and I go, yeah, I, I may not even bet it. I, I mean, honestly, because the Super Bowl every year, I can't remember the last. Actually, the last time I really bet the Super Bowl was New England against Atlanta on a side or a total. I'll, I'll take small stabs at a side, maybe a total here or there. But it's always a, a really well-lined game, so I don't love it. But I love my prop plays. Um, you know, I have I, I, I could name things that I have. I have a new car because Kyle Juszczyk scored a touchdown, right? I mean, I, I, I can name possessions that I own. Oh, you see that really nice new suit? Yeah, that's like a $1,000 suit. Why? Oh, that's a prop play in the Super Bowl. I, I could name it. So I, I absolutely love the prop plays, man. So with that being said, and, and it, was, it was totally a segue into this, Tom, was that obviously the the city of Las Vegas will be on fire with visitors, people coming to watch the game, locals all tearing up the sports books or on their mobile apps, betting on not only the game side total, like you said, but there's just the tons of props that are available out there. But what's funny is that we saw a report come out that New York has surpassed Las Vegas by, <laughs> by a lot. Let's just put it that way, right, Tom? And this is something that you said going back a few years ago that this was going to happen and people like literally were messaging you on Twitter saying you're, you're a fool for thinking that, but guess what? New York number one now, as far as in terms of, of legalized betting. Yeah. Well, we had a, a guest, uh, a host with us that, that w I went back and forth with that was laughing and, and it took 23 days, 23 days for New York to become the epicenter of sports betting in, in America in 23 days. New York set the all-time handle, $1.6 billion. The former previous was New Jersey, who has been, uh, New Jersey has, has owned the sports betting space for, what, the better part of uh, two and a half years or so. New Jersey took over Las Vegas and never looked back. Um, 1.3. So New York, $1.6 billion. It's estimated and it's expected that New York will double, double the greatest month of all time this month with the Super Bowl. It, it, it's miraculous to see how people are just kind of jumping onto the the, um, the ease of everything, going right into your pocket. I still, you know, I, I have my Sunday morning show, and last Sunday I caught myself, and I kind of stopped and said, all right, hold on a second, you know. Um, I, I, I said, when people walk up to the window, I said, I can't say that anymore, because now you just pull it out of your pocket. You, you punch a couple of buttons. The ease of this and the available money that people are, are willing to bet. I, I mean, I don't know why it's a surprise to anybody, but these numbers, even for the most uh, optimistic person, are just spectacularly unbelievable. $1.6 billion in handle in 23 days, Tim. Wow. That's staggering. Tommy, I just, I just have, have to ask you one question. question. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> I, no, listen in tomorrow. I'll tell you all the prop plays I got. <laughs> Brian, let, it, let everybody know. I'm going to let you go early since you uh, maybe take a power nap before your show tomorrow morning right here on Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, I'll be on tomorrow morning uh, with, of course, our social media director who kind of serves as a co-host for me, Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski, and uh, 
uh, the locker room reporter for Vegas Golden Knights Radio, Chris Magnum Chapman, is my producer. We have a great time every Sunday morning. It's eight to nine, and uh, just like Timmy will be uh, and Tommy will be prepping you uh, for the, they'll be prepping you next Saturday night for the Super Bowl, and then we'll be prepping you Sunday, and then you get the first recap. And well, you know, it's funny, Timmy. I wake up on the first show to prep the Super Bowl in Vegas Sunday morning, and you're the first show to uh, give a Super Bowl review. So kind of cool next Sunday. Looking forward to it. The two best shows in Las Vegas, as a matter of fact, if you want to really put it that way. So. I love it. Thank you for having me on, guys. I always enjoy shopping it up with you. Yeah. And we'll How talk, doing, Brian? Brian, next Saturday. Be, be available for a little bit for the show, my friend, please. Absolutely. I will look forward to seeing you there, Timmy. Thanks, Brian. Brian Feldman, out of line, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 8 o'clock. Just, so just in eight hours' time, he'll be on the air. Appreciate Brian for for sitting in with us tonight on the show. And, and Tom, just to follow back on on the the betting angle with New York, what, how long is it going to take? And we've seen what these states that have legalized betting, what they've been able to do with the funds. How long before Texas and California get with it? I, you know, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, Texas has to come pretty quick. Um, California, I don't know. And, and uh, this is not to get into a, a political discussion, but he, the reason why New York, as much as, you know, our new governor is, is a complete and utter train wreck. She, she's one of the worst human beings alive. Um, she came out and basically on the same political spectrum said, well, the reason why New York hasn't had sports betting is because of Cuomo. I mean, you know, it was kind of one guy holding it up. So I don't know the political landscape of California. I know that. Uh, you know, Newsom's a, tr- a disaster. I mean, he's d- done nothing right in his entire tenure there. But is, is he holding it up? Or is it bigger play uh, forces at play holding it up? You know, there's ways to get around all this. I just can't imagine that a state like California, a state like Texas, are going to be able to look at $2 billion coming in. And that's what's expected for February. Uh, $2 billion coming in for New York. And by the way, the uh, they're getting taxed 51% the sports books. New York is making a mint now, hand over fist money. Uh, and how can you be California or Texas and turn that away? You know, yeah. California is has been run horrendously for a long time. They are desperately in need of some kind of infusion of money. Um, so why would you not open this up? It doesn't make any sense unless, uh, like Governor Hockey basically alluded to with, with Cuomo, unless you have a corrupt guy that, that is kind of making sure that it's not not going through. And that happens. We know that in politics. It just takes one guy. You know, it takes one dude uh, to kind of sabotage the state. And we can see it happen. I think we'll end we'll end out here on, on some baseball real quick, Tom. And um, I saw a report today. You know, last week we had talked about once there the – the lockout has ended. We, we can talk about where the last pegs will fall with the free agency. Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, obviously the two big names still looking for a, a home. But I saw a report today that New York Yankees reportedly are going to pursue Freddie Freeman once this opens up again. And, you know, we had talked about how Atlanta failed to sign Freddie Freeman right before the lockout and will it, whether or not it will affect them. If anybody can affect where Freddie Freeman's going to go, it's going to be the New York Yankees. Uh, yeah, you know, it's so funny because he fits so well in so many ways, but I'm not as happy. I'm not as happy as every other Yankee fan. Uh, look, I look at him and I go, he's a great guy. I mean, he's one of those guys that you just can't root against. Great guy. Great situation. Um, we need a lefty bat desperately.
man, he's a winner. He brings that enthusiasm. This town will love him. Is it's what we want? We want a hitter more than a, a you know a basher. And he fits so many categories. But Tim, he's going to ask for a six or seven year deal. I mean, thirty three year old asking for a six or seven year deal, asking for you know probably yeah, I don't know. I mean. 200 250 million dollars i don't know if i'm locking that up with a first baseman that you, you look at and you go his production's fantastic but how much longer am i going to get out of it I, I, i'm in the camp here with the yankees where that would show us something as fan base it would show you not grabbing onto the purse strings it would show us that you are the old new york yankees it would show us that you're, you're trying to make an impact but i'm also sitting back and i'm going Tim, it's a position we don't need, right? It's just not a it's just not a position that is in need right now for the New York Yankees. The lefty bat is, but first base isn't. And where is DJ LeMay gonna play in two years? And where is is, you know, all of a sudden you start to get that log jam again. There's a reason why the Yankees were in trouble. It's because you can't play Stanton in the outfield. You want to give Judge some time at DH. I'm happy about Freddie Freeman. I will be doing backflips. I will buy a jersey. I lie. I, I love the idea. But in the big picture, I am just a little hesitant to go, you know what? The Yankees kind of don't need him. And I don't know if they're forcing the issue here. That was my, my, my look at it is, do they need him? And the answer is probably no, they don't need him. But it would be nice, like you said, to re-energize the fan base after the last couple of years of, I guess they would, they would, not you, because you've always called it down the middle with the Yanks, but a lot of fans expected a lot more from the Yankees the past two seasons and Maybe they didn't get what they wanted, so this is a way to appease that. Do I think Freddie Freeman wins them the World Series next year with that signing? No, I don't. But it would be nice, like you said, to have a guy like that, not only representing your team and city, but in the locker room as well. Tim, give Love me the house. contract details. You know, if you say we're going to extend Aaron Judge, we're going to give Freddie Freeman a, a four-year deal, okay, um, and we're going to front-load it, and we're gonna we're gonna do this because we're gonna try to believe in Anthony Volpe, who's coming up in Peraza. I'm all on board. My worry is, well, we re-signed Freeman, so now we have to cut corners elsewhere. And we re-signed Freeman, which means now now we're done. That's the only thing we're gonna do here. That's my concerns. You tell me that we're gonna get Freddie Freeman for a four-year deal, front-loaded, heavy contract. I am a hundred percent on board. Well, you get to start to see, see that six, and I heard he even wants seven years at 33 years old. I don't like paying guys. I didn't like paying Sabathia. I didn't like, you know, even though everybody thinks that he worked out, I don't like paying those last years of a contract uh, because you are just putting so much of an onus on winning the next two or three years or the contract becomes a hindrance. And I don't blame him for, for getting you it. You never blame the player for getting or asking for a contract that big. It's going to be his last one, really, when you look at it. And I believe the sticking point from what I had read was that Atlanta wanted, like you said, four or five at the most, and he's pushing a seven. You know, he just came off an eight-year deal where he made $17 million a year. So what is it going to cost you to get him? Even at four years, Tom, what's it going to cost you? At least $20 million a year. I'll give it $20 million a year for four years. I'm paying it, mm -hmm. right? I'll, I'll go up to – I'll go $25 million for four years. I'll give him a $200 million contract for four years. Club option of year five. I love that. But I, I can't do that because I think Freddie Freeman will be very productive for the next three years. And he's a lefty bat in Yankee Stadium. So even if he does have to go to DH, that's okay. You know, but you start to bring up bad contracts. You just dealt with Albert Pujols, 
right? Brian Thoman and, and uh, Chris Wynn just watched Miguel Cabrera's contract. I watched the CC Sabathia contract. Th- those last two or three years could submarine a team. What, what's the, the great discussion point is that when it happens, where is he going to go? But the problem is, Tom, when is it going to happen? Because uh, no progress this week. No progress this week. Now the players finally have Twitter. And you start, you're starting to see players' social media handles really go after the owners here. They are really putting the clamps down. I love to see it. you got to use some kind of pressure, kind of got to use the, the kind of the court of appeals pressure. Look at what Brian Flores is doing, right? He's trying to use the court of public opinion uh, to sway uh, a, a nonsensical conversation. Well, they what their players are doing are, are using the court of public opinion to put pressure on the owners. I love to see it. I think that... The more of them speak up and the more they come out and the more they, they rail against this, the more we're going to sit back and they're going to go, okay, you know what? Look, it, they've got to get this done. I want to see the players take to social media more about this issue. Well, now they're trying to bring in uh, Arbiter. Let's, that, that, we're going down the wrong path right now, Tom. So what are we looking at are you, in your mind Unless something dramatically changes, we're going to miss the start of spring training. Yeah, I, I was told all off season, and remember, I, I said this to you all off season. You kept asking me. I said, everyone that is in the know keeps telling me, "Don't worry, we're not going to miss regular season game." Yeah, and that's how they said it: regular season games, which means to me they were always willing to lose spring training games. They were always almost, I don't know, I want to say expecting to lose spring training games. Um, once I start to hear the conversation of, well. We may only lose a couple of regular season games. That's when you start to get nervous, Tim. But no one, nobody that I know that is in the building or in communication has changed their tune. Hey, we may miss some spring training games. That has been the notion since early December from everybody that I've heard. Nothing has changed there. It's just more of a reality thing that we're starting to deal with it. Well, we'll be back tomorrow night at 10 o'clock for the Super Bowl Prop Special. Also discuss uh, the game itself as we are going to be a week away from the Super Bowl there in L.A. Tom, talk about everything you're doing, including that live show tomorrow morning. Yeah, tomorrow morning, myself, Rashad Jennings, is going to run through for two hours, talk about everything that's going on with the Super Bowl. Uh, Rashad Jennings is uh, almost best friends with Odell Beckham. I want to get his opinion on Odell's career change. Also, go check out TomBartonSports.com. I talked about earlier in the show and Tom Barton Sports I put out a new video today Tim I think you're going to like this one Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube alright Tommy we'll talk to you tomorrow night buddy thanks have a good one guys Tom Barton TomBartonSports.com for under $100 you get a month's full of service that includes the Super Bowl and the prop plays next week check out TomBartonSports.com again special thanks to Brian Feldman for sitting in with us tonight 8 o'clock out of line right here on Fox Sports Radio and Mateo handling the job there back in the Lotus Broadcast Studios. Thank you to him. I am Tim Munglesby. I will speak to you tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. Heatwave Sports, only on Fox Sports Radio. Good night. When you break the mold and get results, it